everybody. It's Lonnie. Uh, here I am this week. We do not have a new endless episode covering the comics for you today because uh, Lisa has some stuff going on. I had some stuff going on and our schedules kind of got a, flown a little topsy-turvy. But because I didn't want to leave the space just empty on a Tuesday, I decided that what I would do is pull in superhero scholar Joshua Unruh, uh, my co-host from Listen Up A-Holes, the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, to talk a little bit about DC Comics to talk a little bit about the Sandman and give a little perspective on some of the things that we've been talking about so far. So this is uh, going to be an episode that is a little bit outside of the normal, but I wanted to let you guys know that Elisa and I will be working to get these out every week as much as we can. Some weeks there may not be anything in the feed on a Tuesday, but don't worry, we are on it. And when the Netflix series comes out, we hope to be able to do that every week as the episodes come out. So for today, let me welcome Welcome Joshua Unruh uh, to the Endless Stage. How you doing, man? We're going to talk about DC instead of Marvel now. Does that feel weird? No, it feels amazing. <laughs> Are you excited? I am excited. Okay, because, yeah. I mean, I have blown with the wind over the course of my mm -hmm. life, and I started out as a big-time Marvel zombie kid, but uh, around mm -hmm. about college, you know, when I matured, I matured. <laughs> into yes. DC Comics. Um, I see. Yeah, that's not exactly true. It was just a really <laughs> perfect time for DC Comics. And it was perfect uh -huh. for honestly 10 or 12 years. And I just got just deep as hell into it and just became mm -hmm. the biggest DC fan. And and honestly, I mean, not uh, the, it's a mixed bag for both companies at the moment, comic book wise. But like, as far as the stuff that just eats up all of my imagination real estate, it's probably mm -hmm. more DC than Marvel most of the time. Just interesting. It's just, it's just how it works out, you know. Um, what do you see as the basic difference? I mean, this is is kind of an interesting perspective. What uh, what is the basic difference? Do you feel in like the energy between Marvel and DC? Can you sum that up? Is that possible? Scale. It's scale. Scale. It's mm -hmm. scale. Yeah. Um, Right from the gate, the Marvel Universe made a lot of effort to sort of be the world outside your window, right? Like, uh, mm -hmm. it's basically New York, 1960, you know, whatever right, it was. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, part of that was also very much giving their heroes sort of feet of clay, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Peter Parker is an angry teenager who can't pay his damn rent. Right. You right. know, mm -hmm. uh, and, and being Spider-Man makes that harder, not easier, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of the Marvel guys look like horror stories right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. Uh, we talked for, uh, the Iron Man movie that the Iron Man initial appearances are very much like this man, this monster, you know, mm -hmm. like Tony Stark is separated from humanity because he can't let anybody know that he has to wear this breastplate to keep him alive all the time. And when mm -hmm. he puts on the outfit, it's monstrous. But part of that like world outside your window heroes with clay feet is that you wind up with everything just being a little bit smaller, you know, mm -hmm. like I have joked with you before on Listen Up A-Holes that like, uh, oh, is there an intergalactic war one time in Marvel? <laughs> That's going to be the thing that dominates the Avengers for 15 years. Oh, uh -huh. uh, uh, is there a war with sentient colors from the fifth dimension in the DC universe? That's Tuesday. 
It's just scale. The scale is wildly different. And in fact, when DC is dropping the ball, it is doing what a uh, uh, longtime comic book blogger Chris Sims calls the problem, capital T, capital mm -hmm. P. And the problem with DC is when they want to be Marvel. <laughs> And they don't do a great job at it. Like, and, you know, and I'll, I'll let that hang. Anybody who wants to hear more about that can just come find me. I have lots of more thoughts about the problem uh, when DC pulls off the problem. So I, I, it's so interesting to me because Marvel, again, when we did Listen Up A Holes, um, talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it was the cinematic universe. Like we were watching the movies, we're doing things. You were reading the comics. You already read the comics. You know everything about the comics. I was just kind of learning it secondhand from you, but I wasn't actually reading the, the original comic stories. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, so for me, like it was, it was just kind of a different introduction, I think, into it. Now for talking about Sandman, um, we're going in, we're looking at the comics and it's so funny because I find things that are rubbing off on me, things that I learned watching you tell me about the comics from Marvel. Like for instance, and I'm very, very proud of this. And I know that you are very, very proud of me uh, because we we're reading the uh, the Sandman comic and they brought up Wesley Dodd, the yes. guy who ran out and fought crime as the and I was like, oh, oh, Golden Age, Golden Age. It was a Golden Age Sandman. And I was <laughs> da, da, da. and I was so proud of myself. And then I went and I did the research on it afterward and I pulled it into the episode and I have been patting myself on the back for just recognizing that that is a reference to, you know, kind of like another incarnation of Sandman. Man, that happened in this world of the Neil Gaiman comic because Sandman was abducted, you know, it was, it was uh, captured. Um, so I just wanted to ask you the question, how proud on a scale of one to 10 are you of me that I saw that and figured it out? Man, you got to turn it to 11. That's how, I mean, because <laughs> you were like, not just, oh, this is this is a particular thing, because I think you mm -hmm. started to get pretty good at recognizing things that were going to be Easter eggs, mm -hmm. even if you didn't know, yes. you know, what they mm -hmm. were related to. And uh, so you're like, oh, that's a guy. And it's not just a guy. It's a guy that was an actual publication during the Golden Age. Like we're not retconning uh -huh. something into the Golden Age. Oh, by the way, I, Lonnie Diane Rich, know what the <laughs> Golden Age of comics is. And and recognize this dude with a gas mask and a fedora. Um, yeah, no, yes, it was great. Yes. And and then I responded to this fantastic revelation in the way that I always do with a reading recommendation because <laughs> coming out <laughs> near this time with uh, mm -hmm. with Game and Sandman, they did a book about Wesley that was extremely like gritty, like very true to what the 20s and 30s would have been like mm -hmm. and called it Sandman Mystery Theater. And it yeah. was uh, fantastic. It's really an excellent mm -hmm. series. It's one of the first series of any comic books that I got my wife to read when we were uh, mm -hmm. relatively newly married people and she was not into any of that jazz. <laughs> that <laughs> ship has sailed. She's not into that jazz like I'm into that jazz, but she's more in there. And mm -hmm. Sandman Mystery Theater is fantastic. So I mm -hmm. recommend it. And also props to you and hooray you're also i mean this is i'm i'm going to steal a little bit of the your possible notice things thunder but um mm -hmm. you should actually be on the lookout for a version of the silver age sandman also 
Oh my goodness. I will. I will keep an eye out for it. A version of that. Yeah. I I mean, we've, you know, like at this point in the reading of the Neil Gaiman Sandman, um, you know, they are pulling in from the universe, which is such an interesting thing. And I love this because Neil Gaiman pulls from everywhere, Mm -hmm. you know, like he pulls stuff from mythology and he pulls from like all of these, you know, like ancient sources. And then as much will pull from, you know, other things going on. Like we met this Martian person from the (laughs) JLI and Scott Free, who is somebody or whatever. Like, I don't know any of this. I don't have any of that background. But as we're reading it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, this is an internal reference. This is internal continuity. This is taking the material that is there that has already been created and repurposing it in what you're doing now. Um, And I, you know, I found it kind of fun. I mean, I think it's the kind of thing that had I known who Scott Free was or who the the Martian dude was, I'm sure before would have landed even better, but being able to like, you know, see these things and be like, oh, that's definitely something that's from the comics. And whenever I see that, I go and I do the research and I find out that yes, indeed it is. Yeah. Do you want to hear about the Justice League International and the Martian I do, Manhunter? I do. Yes. Explain all that to me. I don't know that background. Yes. Okay. okay. This is that. Um, I mentioned I was I was a Marvel kid until mm-hmm. uh, till college, and that is mm-hmm. mostly true. Uh, but there was yeah. some dabbling around in the DC universe by me in kind of the late mm-hmm. '80s uh, and into and a, a little into the '90s, you know. But I didn't mm-hmm. really go hard for it until late '90s, 2000s. But mm-hmm. I was reading Justice League International. Um, the thing about JLI is that mm-hmm. it's it's. It's post-crisis. And the only thing I will say about that is that it's after they kind of rebooted the DC universe Mm -hmm. for the most part. And there was so much stuff going on with their big names, the big headliners, uh, like Superman and Wonder Woman, that they were too busy. Like they were legitimately Mm -hmm. like doing too much with those characters to let them go to the Justice League book, um, mm-hmm. which as an aside is kind of a kind of a historical throwback. Uh, originally, like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman were not in the Justice Society of America because right. they only mm-hmm. put people in the JSA that didn't have their own books. So if oh. they were like reserve members and they might show up every now and then and they were on the roster because it would be weird if they weren't, but they hardly ever showed up. And there wasn't really an in fiction explanation for this, but when other JSA characters got their own books, they exited the JSA. That was that was how they did. Mm-hmm. So circling oh. all these years later to the to the JLI, they want to do a more a very much a more international, like they were located in France, I think. Uh, they had an mm-hmm. embassy. Um, they took more international heroes because they just didn't want to be the Justice League of America only right. anymore. They were trying to take uh-huh. out a worldwide view. And if you look at the original lineup, it's weird because they weren't allowed to have any of what you would consider the big obvious polls, right? Right. Uh-huh. So the original lineup is Batman. Batman's in it, but that's largely because Batman editor Denny O'Neill took pity on the JLI squad and were like, okay, you can have them, but don't fuck them up. Uh, that's a real, that's a real deal. Denny O'Neill, I love him. And I mentioned him before as someone along with Neil Adams who really revitalized Batman in the seventies. Mm-hmm. And then when he became editor of all the Bat books, he got extremely protective. And a lot of times that was really cool. And sometimes it was mm-hmm. really stupid. Like he insisted yeah. that the world thought that Batman was an urban legend 
easily 15, 20 years after that made any kind of sense. You know, I'm mm-hmm. like, that guy's in the Justice League International. He's in pictures. Mm-hmm. Nobody disbelieves the existence of Batman. Come on. So anyway, so you got uh- Batman, you got Black Canary, who's very much in there to be like uh, the feminist perspective, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, to greater and lesser degrees. It was, yes, it was a time, uh, but she's very mm-hmm. much in opposition to Guy Gardner, who was the resident Green Lantern, who was a very like Reaganite bull cut conservative right-wing douche nozzle with a Green Lantern ring. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'll just spoil this. Right. One of the most famous scenes from early JLI is when Guy lips off to Batman and Batman knocks him out, just smooth knocks <laughs> him out. And everybody flips out because it was like in one punch. You know, that's a whole thing. The Blue Beetle, who was a recent acquisition for DC Comics. They did not own him for a long time, but he shows up in JLI. Captain Marvel, uh-huh. now known as Shazam, was in there. And that was a okay. weird pull because he uh-huh. had been owned by DC for a while, but had not been folded into the main universe. He was off in his own sort of pocket wow. thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Dr. Fate, a magic guy. You got Dr. Light, who is a female good version of what had been a villain. Dr. Light had been a Titans <laughs> villain for a long time. And then Mr. Miracle, who sometimes brings along Big Barda, uh, which is his wife. That's Scott Free. Boy, will we talk about Scott Free in a minute. And then last but not uh-huh. least, the Martian Manhunter, who, by the way, until fairly recently, was the only DC character that had been a member of every single incarnation of the Justice League. That was true oh my goodness. until wow. fairly recently. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So he's sort of been like he's somebody I've never heard of. Like we saw him, you know, okay. Let me just, when I say, because he's somebody I've never heard of, that's stupid because I've, I haven't read most of this, but like, you sure. know, you've heard of Superman, you've heard of like, heard right. of Batman. I've heard of most of these, like even, you know, like some of them in the, in the, like, but, but the Martian, like I never, the I don't know that they've been referenced in any of the TV shows or the movies yes. or any kind of like the main. I don't remember. <laughs> like okay, and again, I am not in any way exhaustive. Like I watched, you know, on reruns after school, the Adam West Batman when I was a kid. I've Hell watched yeah, the Christopher did. Reeve superheroes, like you know, Superman movies. Like you know, I've seen the basics of it, but I, I don't like The Martian was just like a completely out of left field kind of character for me to find in Sandman. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, he's only in there because because Morpheus had to visit the JLI, right? And, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, other than Batman, who honestly came and went b- because he had things to do and Denny O'Neill was protecting his investment, right? Like, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martian Manhunter really is very much the grown-up of the JLI. And the JLI uh-huh. is part of what is now referred to as the Bwahaha era because it would lead up to these huge jokes that were made in fiction, like on the page, until everybody on the page is busting up with big blah, ha, ha. Oh. <laughs> you know, it would be really serious and then be these really uh-huh. funny moments. And the grown up in uh-huh. the room when Batman wasn't there is John Jones, the Martian Manhunter. But he didn't mm-hmm. really make a big multimedia breakout until mm-hmm. the DC animated universe's Justice League cartoon, which would okay. be in like the early 2000s. And right. So, so that's after Gaiman's time of writing this oh, and referencing yeah. it there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the first time he's like, 
that's the first time he's really busted out of the comic books, as I recall. <laughs> and what's funny about that is my mom, remember my mom, she grew up with me dealing with this bullshit my entire yeah. life, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. I bought some of these uh, Justice League DVDs for my nephews for Christmas one year. And we're watching mm -hmm. them, you know, Christmas day at my, my mom's house. And she comes in the room yeah. and she's like, I know who all of these people are, except for the green guy. What is that about? And I was like, mm -hmm. funny enough, the Martian Manhunter, who you have never heard of, is the only guy who's been a member of every iteration of the Justice League, and yet you've <laughs> never heard of him even living mm -hmm. in a house with me. So you can feel, you can be okay with that. Do you want to know his deal? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. of course. Okay, so uh, his deal is, um, and, and he's kind of like Black Widow in this way. You remember I talked about how Black Widow just became a person who stopped moving on the sliding timescale of the Marvel Universe? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so now she's just always been around and that makes mm -hmm. a certain amount of sense. This is kind of what they wound up doing with the Martian Manhunter. So remember, it's the Silver Age. It's the 60s. Mm -hmm. Everybody is getting science fiction reboots, right? So yeah. the Flash, the Golden Age Flash was kind of a science fiction origin, but nothing like Silver Age Flash this is the one you're familiar with, Barry Allen, you know, right. mm -hmm. chemicals, lightning, the whole deal. Uh, Green Lantern stopped being one guy with a magic ring and instead became mm -hmm. a Green Lantern core, like a galactic mm -hmm. cops, basically, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, with science fiction-y stuff, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The way... How this bleeds over into Martian Manhunter, remember, it's just barely after the 50s. We're still in the space race. We still think little green men might be on Mars, low-key, right? Right, yeah. Uh -huh. So they have a scientist named Dr. Ertl who's working on interplanetary travel via gate, like a big wormhole gate kind of uh -huh. thing. And he thinks he's going to Mars, and he pulls a Martian out. And what mm -hmm. they come to realize is that he actually pulled him from the past. There is no one living on Mars now. He pulled, this is the last Martian because Mars yeah. was having mm -hmm. a plague and everybody was dying. And so the only reason oh. that Jean survived is because he accidentally got pulled through this gate. And then Dr. Ertl promptly drops dead of a heart attack because he wasn't expecting this horrifying green monster to come through. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Dies of a heart attack. And now you're left with Jean Jones trying to figure out his place in the world more or less all by himself, which he did with like uh. television. And he decided oh. he would be a crime fighter because Superman's out there, Batman's out there, and he uh -huh. doesn't have a normal identity. So he creates police detective John Jones. Oh my God. And shape shifts because he's got basically mm -hmm. all the powers of Superman plus telepathy and shape shifting. Like he is a wow. powerhouse dude. And so he mm -hmm. would just like, create memories of John Jones in people's brains. Now, wildly unethical, but he didn't yes. entirely mm -hmm. understand right. the mm -hmm. Earth mores, right? Because everybody on Mars is telepathic, you know? Because so everybody has that ability. There, everybody yes. has mm -hmm. a natural, like right. the powers he has are the powers everybody on Mars had, right? Like everybody right. is just mm -hmm. rolling deep, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, so that's his deal. And then as he... So that happened in the actual Silver Age, but then as they kind of yeah. did these these reboots where they would reset the clock, right? So that Superman didn't show up in 1939. Now he showed up in 1985, you know, mm -hmm. but they left Jean as having fallen through in the 50s or 60s. Mm -hmm. And he just built this life and hung around until superheroes became a thing. And then he was like, okay, now I can do it both ways. Like I can do wow. both things. Yeah. So- yeah, he's great. Oh, that's a neat story. Yeah. And and I really, he really is, um, 
it's just really fascinating because he's like an ex-cop, but he also, he mm -hmm. doesn't have any, an actual secret identity. So sometimes he maintains multiple different civilian identities just to learn how the world works. Like he's been <laughs> a Chinese woman for a long time. He's been John Jones for oh, a long, you know, detective neat. John Jones for a long time. Yeah. He's been all these different things. Um, during my favorite time uh, of the DC universe, they would talk about how uh, Superman was the by far most widely known superhero in the Northern Hemisphere in the DC universe, mm -hmm. like in the actual DC universe. Martian Manhunter was that for the Southern Hemisphere. Like he just went where um, the rest of the people didn't because he didn't have a city to, to be the boss of. He mm -hmm. didn't have family or, you know, supporting cast or whatever. So and then, of course, he makes a perfect addition as the more or less leader of the Justice League International yeah. because he is the most well-known international superhero from Jump. How cool is that? I really like that. Of course, you know, I, one of the things that I love the most about superhero comics is the I, endless parade of identity stories, which yeah. is essentially what all, a lot of them come down to. Um, so that's really, really cool. Um, all right. So here we are. Now we can move into the territory that I'm actually now starting to become familiar with, which is, of course, Neil Gaiman's Sandman uh, uh -huh. work. Um, and so, like, first of all, you've read this before. Right. Yes. So you yes. had you already read Sin Man. Did you read it when it came out? No, I was mm -hmm. probably a little just a little young for it, or at least for I thought I was. Mm -hmm. I thought I was. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, no, I came to that later, like as as a young adult. Mm -hmm. uh, I came okay. to it like in my in my early 20s, I think, is when I finally got around to it the first time. Um, All right. I've heard I mean, nothing but amazing things about this run, and I'm very, very excited to get into it. I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, the, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot is the incredible density, you know, yes. with which like Neil Gaiman in general is a very dense writer. Like I, there aren't a lot of words that are just thrown away with Neil Gaiman, mm -hmm. like everything kind of feeds in and, and links up with everything else. But also I think that in addition, comic books, in general, and, and the way that I'm experiencing them, them now um, are a dense medium. You know, you'll have like, um, I don't know, what's in an average issue, 20 pages, 25 pages, something like that. Modern comics, you know? 20 to 25 pages throughout most of my life. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, 20 to 25 pages is actually not a lot, except that in comics, they kind of are. There's so much between the art and between the um, the um, efficiency of the the dialogue and the way that everything is written and the way that everything's put together. There's so much happening. And mm -hmm. I find myself um, moving through this material very slowly, very deliberately, which is not usually what I do. Usually my time is so tight with everything because mm -hmm. I, I schedule myself into the, the, you know, next year, um, that I usually end up kind of rushing through, like, you know, when I've got just text on a page, I move through it pretty quickly. Yeah. But when I'm dealing with comics, I find that there's so much information packed into everything all the way down to the way that the panels interact with yes. each other on a page, yes. you know? Um, so, so interesting and i'm really really enjoying that um so what did you think do you do you feel and i don't know because you've read so many comics and i've really i mean i've read a couple of graphic novels and a couple of things there were a couple of things that you had me read i mean mighty thor when we were doing uh the marvel podcast and that kind of thing um but do you find are the neil gaiman um sandman comics do they feel different from other kinds of comics is there a different vibe to them or is this pretty much standard for the way that dc comics are do you think 
Oh, I wouldn't claim it's standard at all. Mm -hmm. I do think mm -hmm. that it kind of set something of the standard for Vertigo books. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. Vertigo is an imprint for DC. Um, mm -hmm. I, I believe that Lisa has talked a little bit about this. Actually. Yes, she has. But, uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, th that's where they put their more more adult, I guess, and sometimes mm -hmm. extremely adult. Um, like, mm -hmm. for instance, the Endless start out pretty obviously as part of the DC universe, and they kind of get cycled out because they're just yeah. too mature, like like in mm -hmm. a real way for, for what we want to do on a month-to-month -month basis in the DC universe. Mm -hmm. And then later, they get uh, kind of folded back in. Um, in fact, mm -hmm. I can't really talk very seriously about it, but I want to make both you and Elisa read when you're done. You have uh -huh. to be done with the yes. comics because there's okay. big spoilers. But I want to make you read two issues of Grant Morrison and Howard Porter's run on Justice League because mm -hmm. it ties into the endless stuff. And Ooh. at the time, I was like, wait just a damn minute. They're not supposed to be in the main universe. This is, uh -huh. rules are being broken, you know, um, which was uh -huh. cool. Very cool. So I will say that it feels very much like a Vertigo book, which would have been like Swamp okay. Thing, John Constantine, Hellblazer, uh, Sandman's mm -hmm. Big Sandman Mystery Theater, which all tend to be pretty mature, have more sort mm -hmm. of mythological or or bigger themes. And, yeah. and then also can become just these really dense pieces of fiction because there's so much stuff we can rope into any given panel, let alone page. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah, I would not say that that's typical for comics across the board or DC comics mm -hmm. in particular. It comes up some certainly, yeah. but I mean, that mm -hmm. wouldn't be the right approach for a really breezy, you know, action story. Right. Um, sure. It's not always what you want to do, but yeah, yeah, I'm just finding it so interesting uh, because like, I'm a big Neil Gaiman fan. I've really enjoyed his work. Um, but, uh, but I'm just, I'm curious how, how the Sandman comics is written by Neil Gaiman kind of compare to the general experience of reading these comics. And I guess there is a different kind of audience for different comics. I mean, the universe is so broad, you know, there's so much that it encompasses, you know, uh, same as the Marvel cinematic and, and the Marvel comics universe as well. Um, but it's just, it's interesting because I'm, I'm finding myself, this is a very good, I think, access point for me for the rest of the comics. Um, because I really do enjoy the way Neil Gaiman, I mean, Neil Gaiman's like the, um, the doctor's wife is one of my favorite episodes of mm -hmm, Dr. Who, of mm -hmm. course, written by Neil Gaiman. Um, so there's something about the way that he writes that really typically speaks to me and the way and the things that I like to read. So it's a really good access point for me. Um, we're in the middle of Preludes and Nocturnes now. We're almost finishing that up um, in the next couple of episodes of Endless. And um, and then we're going to be moving into Doll's House. And my understanding from Elisa is that there is somewhat a shift of the way that the, the, the story starts out sort of in this horror space and moves into um, into fantasy. Did you notice that as well when you read through Sandman? Do you feel that that sort of tonal shift in there? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, mm -hmm. and in fact, I'm not exactly sure when in Doll's House. Even in Doll's House, I feel like it may not be Doll's House. It nah. may be after that. But she said there's some there's like a tonal shift coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, You start to spend more time with Dream's supporting cast, uh, with yeah. Morpheus's supporting cast all of whom are basically different types of stories, you know, really, mm -hmm. when you get down to it. Um, I mean, even you've already seen this a little bit with Cain and Abel. 
yeah. that one's mm-hmm. the house yeah. of secrets mm-hmm. and one is the house of mysteries, you know, and mm-hmm. that they, as Lisa was mentioning, they used to be hosts of books, yeah. called that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there, there they are just purveyors of stories. And I think mm-hmm. if this is a little spoilery, I apologize. Cause I can't remember where things go, but I think that, have you met Matthew the Raven? Not yet. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think I have. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, he's coming and he's going to it's yes. gonna suggest that there's this big backstory for for him as the as Matthew as, uh-huh. as a raven. And you're gonna mm-hmm. you would be coming to me and being like, What's the backstory? Is it tied to a bunch of stuff? And I'd be like, You're gonna have to wait, because no, uh-huh. you know. Um, <laughs> and you're gonna get some more horror type stories with some of the because mm-hmm. I think uh Morpheus has already mentioned some folks that wandered off from yeah. their post in the dreaming and sometimes mm-hmm. that's for mischief and sometimes it's for self-improvement and sometimes it's just to go do horrible shit to people so <laughs> but yeah no it really does float through this like horror fairy tale back again what's the meaning of stories what's the we come mm-hmm. back around to horror um we're gonna make William Shakespeare an actual character in the book. Mm-hmm. And one of my mm-hmm. favorite issues, which is this is the most basic bitch thing for me to really like, but I didn't know <laughs> it at the time. One of my favorite issues is about Shakespeare doing a play uh-huh. for Morpheus and some of Morpheus's friends. Ooh. And mm-hmm. so it's a bunch of mortal actors doing a play for mm-hmm. Dream and his immortal friends. And that individual issue, as I understand it, won an award mm-hmm. that they then changed the rules so that no comic book could ever win that award again because some people were really upset about it. But it's super oh d- God, layered yeah. and dense and, and literary yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah, it moves through these different spaces. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think very often that the horror elements go away entirely, if mm-hmm. only because, as you guys have already seen, you, you've talked about, yeah. every time Dream shows up, everybody's like, what the fuck is this? You know, I mean, really every time it's like old Testament angels, you know, Uh, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. uh, from, you know, angels, every time they show up in the Jewish scriptures, everybody just hits their Mm -hmm. face, you know, and the first thing Mm -hmm. the angel has to say all the time is get up, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit that with, uh, with dream, like dream comes wandering into the JLI and Scott free is like, I don't know you, but I know your trouble, you know? (laughs) Because I'm also a god and game recognize game. And then when he runs into right. the Manhunter, the Manhunter's like, hits his face, you know, because mm-hmm. he, he yeah. is a god of dreaming for Mars. So mm-hmm. if nothing else, that inhumanness of, of mm-hmm. Morpheus and his siblings kind of keep a low level horror vibe to me through most of yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it really like, ooh, all over the place, warp and woof, just uh. different stories. I'm just going to tell some different stories, you know. <laughs> Well, I am really excited to be reading more of this and I really appreciate you coming to hang out today so we could talk about this stuff because it is, um, it's really, really fun. And I always, as you, as you can tell, because we name check you multiple (laughs) times in every episode, because there's always a point where I'm like, oh God, I wonder what Joshua would have to say about this. Um, So we'll definitely be having you back to kind of like talk about, you know, bring your expertise and and your, your uh, experience of all of these superhero comics. But the one question that I have for you before we leave here today is sandman a superhero i know you have like very specific things right that but okay let me see you've told me before what makes a superhero well hold on hold on only one you have to answer this question first so 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 yes i want you i want to quiz you you tell me what makes a superhero according to me but then you have to tell me which sandman you're talking about I'm talking about this Neil Gaiman Sandman. Morpheus. I'm talking about, what's that Morpheus? I mean, he's got so many different 
different so, names. Main names, Dream, Sandman, Morpheus. So if you need to draw Dream, a distinction Sandman, Morpheus. Okay. between, okay. say, Morpheus and Wesley uh-huh. Dodd, yes. say, Golden Age Sandman or Morpheus, right? Like, let's keep the line in there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And here is my, the fact that I didn't prepare for this conversation absolutely showing itself. And, um, and my incredible shame, because you have been so generous in teaching me all about this stuff. And I had you on still dead to talk about the television show angel and whether angel was a superhero and we had this whole conversation and the only thing i remember is that superheroes have a costume (laughs) okay so let me revisit this very briefly very briefly yes so i do have a certain you must be this high to be a superhero kind of requirement right Mm -hmm. um and not all of them have to be turned up to the same level. Okay. And I will explain what Mm -hmm. that means, but here's Mm -hmm. my bare minimum. You got to have superpowers. Okay. Yes. Now, clearly I love Batman and he doesn't have any superpowers. He covers the other stuff, right? Like we'll get to the other stuff. Yeah. Cause all of it can be also secret identity, right? Yes. They have to have a colorful costumed identity. Yes. Okay. That's where the costume comes in. Yes. Superheroes wear costumes, man. If you need to call them a (laughs) uniform or an action suit to make you feel Uh more grown up, what the fuck ever. But at the end of the day, they wear a brightly colored, ridiculous outfit. Okay. It's a must. So is the costume about the identity, like the secret identity space? Yeah. yeah, Because that's another thing. They have to be hiding a civilian identity. Is because they're hiding a civilian identity. Okay, okay, okay. Now, All right. Again, so the knobs can be turned up and down on this because the yes. Fantastic Four are clearly superheroes, but they do not have secret identities, right? They just are who they are. They just are who they are because they cover a lot mm-hmm. of this other stuff. So yeah, the reason that the colorful costume is such a big deal to me is if you go back to sort of the original conception of Superman and just and mm-hmm. also just watch kids, okay? Because yeah. kids are absolutely fascinated with the switch between Mm -hmm. the civilian identity and the superhero identity. This is Mm -hmm. why that slide down the bat pole was part of every single episode of Batman 66. Like we had to see it. Mm -hmm. They're Bruce Wayne Mm -hmm. and Dick Grayson up top. They slide down the pole, Batman and Robin were done. This was built Mm -hmm. into my son's Batman Lego sets. Like you set your little Lego Bruce Wayne at the top, hit the button, he gums (laughs) down the thing, boom, he's Batman instead. Like this is a big deal. Transformation mm-hmm. scenes in Magical Girl anime, like Sailor Moon gets and all of her mini Sailor Senshi get these superpowered, these transformations. They don't wear masks mm-hmm. or anything. And yet when they're done, nobody can recognize them because they're completely yeah. different. Right. Mm-hmm. So they got to have that. And for me, the secret identity is really important because that shift from who I am every day versus who I want to be or who I want to present to the world, right? Mm -hmm. In whatever manner that or form that takes. Like, oh, Lois Lane would love Clark Kent if only she knew that Clark Kent was also Superman, but I have to keep this secret. So now Mm -hmm. it's this weird love triangle versus Spider-Man when he's like, I got to keep my secret identity because when this mask comes off, people fucking die. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. like there can be all kinds of reasons and not everybody has to have one, but at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. colorful costumed identity, hiding a secret identity. Okay. And they fight crime. Now we can, they fight crime. We can broadly describe crime. Okay. But Mm -hmm. they, they fight crime, which also wears colorful costumed identities. You're not much of a superhero. If you don't have any supervillains, 
Uh-huh. In yes. my opinion, I'm looking at UMCU for a variety of reasons. <laughs> and this is where I start to get really specific for me, okay? Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's really vital for superhero stories that you battle internal conflicts literalized externally, okay? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have a Superman example I always use and a Spider-Man example I always use, okay? okay. So Spider-Man example is Aunt May is sick. She needs the pills. Peter goes to the pharmacy. He's got the pills in his hand. That direction, east, is his aunt mm-hmm. whose health is failing and she needs these pills. To the west yes. is the scorpion breaking up a bank and stealing all the money and putting people in mm-hmm. danger. Okay. With great power comes great responsibility. He has yeah. a mm-hmm. responsibility to the people mm-hmm. and to his aunt. Which one's yeah. the greater responsibility? Can he pull off both? Internal mm-hmm. conflict, literalized externally, often with somebody wearing a, an equally garish outfit. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And this is a big one for me. They also have to be aspirational. They have to be better than us. Mm -hmm. Superheroes are, they don't have to be perfect. Perfect is not what I'm looking for. Perfect is boring, but they are Mm -hmm. aspirational. They do not, I don't know, just snap villains necks in front of, you know, (laughs) civilian families while they're saving their lives. (laughs) No, they don't, Uh they don't beat people nearly to death just for kicks, you know, that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. They don't do that Mm -hmm. largely. Can there be some examples that do these things? Yeah. As counterpoint, Mm -hmm. but if that ever becomes the main thing, barely a superhero. Then it's no longer a superhero. Okay. So Sandman, right? Morpheus. Morpheus. Morpheus, I would say, is not a superhero. Am not I a superhero. Not a superhero. Okay, let me go ahead and give you my reasoning why. One, yeah, hit me. Um, he has only one. I, I mean, he has a number of names which he is called, but he has one identity. He's one dude. Right, right. right. So it's he really, doesn't pretend to be anything else. His identity is only multifaceted because we are. He is always right. dream. And who he appears to us earthlings as versus Martians versus whoever else that's His reflection of us. Of us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but one he identity. never he never tries to be anything other than what he is. Um, he also doesn't really fight crime. Like, I mean, he's he you has know, a he's, job in the universe, in the multiverse, right. really. But mm-hmm. no, it is not largely fighting crime. No, it is not fighting crime. Um, he has a dark side. Like, there's some real darkness to him. So sure. I'm not sure how aspirational he is. I do like this. Thing that I'm seeing though, like it started with the scene with uh, Constantine and mm-hmm. Rachel at the end where they were in the house and he says, you know, Rachel's going to die and he was just going to leave her there to die. And Constantine says, no, you can't do that. And so then he gives her, you know, like dreams that help her pass, you know, pass on. Um, and he clears up Constantine's memories of, of, you know, bad things that have happened and everything. And he helps him out with that. And he kind of, from that moment forward, sort of starts using that power to help people. But one of the interesting things that Elisa had pointed out was that it was less about the helping and more about the power, that he knew that he could do that. Yeah, you know, yeah. and that that power to do something was something that he was playing with, but that he's not, um, he's not an aspirational good guy. It seems to me like he has a lot of moral ambiguity. Yes. Yeah. No, you I know? would agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I do. Obviously, these stories are superhero adjacent, hundred mm-hmm. percent, right? Um, yeah. Wh- which is fine. Not every story in a superhero universe has to be a superhero story. Sometimes it's really interesting mm-hmm. just to put things in contrast. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jessica Jones, her original appearances in Alias, where she's an mm-hmm. ex superhero that barely anybody remembers. 
you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. was that good for her life? No, it was bad. <laughs> Is it helping her get along now that she's not a superior? No, it was bad, yeah. you know, but you see mm-hmm. that contrast, right? This mm-hmm. is sort of that power differential the other direction, right? Like uh, superheroes are largely the gods of their universe as far mm-hmm. as we, the readers, are concerned. Like we're sitting right. down to hear mm-hmm. these stories of these mythological big stories about Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Yes, they have to have a human element for us to dial in on, but that's what we're tuning in for. So if they're the gods, what is the story like where they're instead more like middle management? Right. And there's somebody so far above them yeah. Like, mm-hmm. what does that mean to the superhero universe that these, that you have this being, and then we find out about dream siblings, but you have this being mm-hmm. that is operating exponentially higher than even the Justice League, whereas the Justice League is operating at a level exponentially higher than us. What in mm-hmm. the hell? You know? Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. So that's really, I think that's part of it too, is that he's really supposed to be superhero adjacent for that scale. Like Mm -hmm. take the DC versus Marvel scale and now say the endless versus DC scale. It's like that big a jump. Mm -hmm. So I would say definitely not a superhero, but that's not a complaint or a problem. It's because they're telling different stories. This is the kind of story they're telling. Yeah. Right. And part of it is that contrast. Mm -hmm. It comes Mm -hmm. in, but it's not the, the point all the time. Right. And I, and I'm not, you know, saying he's not a superhero as any kind of criticism of it. It's just me trying to exercise this newly obtained um, information and this rubric. I mean, the the last thing, I think the thing that I didn't talk about was that does he have superpowers? Well, clearly Morpheus does, but that's not the only defining thing that creates a, a super, and he doesn't really have a super villain or anybody that he's actively fighting. Um, he's, it's interesting kind of how he, he dances into like, say, you know, hell, right. Yeah. You know, and hangs out with Lucifer for a little bit and they have their little uh, kind of jazz nightclub, you know, mind game. <laughs> yes. The beat poet play. wizards war is the very beat poet wizards war. And I am hope, which is a really nice ending for that. You know, I mean, I think that was a really, really great move. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an interesting conversation. I wanted to, I was, I was like, okay, I'm going to ask him this question and then I'm going to reveal that I have forgotten everything he's ever taught me about this, but now I've been, and now I've learned it again and I will try not to forget the next time that I bring you on to anything I do to ask you if somebody is a superhero, I will try to have all of that information handy. I have a follow-up quiz. What's your follow-up quiz? What about the golden age Sandman? Is he a superhero? The Golden Age Sandman. Oh, ooh, okay. Wesley Dodd. He has a secret identity. He does. Um, he goes out and he fights crime. He, he has a costume. I don't know about a counter villain because I haven't like read anything. I just kind of looked him up. You know, um, I saw the reference to him in there. Um, and like his powers are, you know, he's got like the gas mask that makes people tell or the gas that makes people either pass out or tell the truth or whatever. Um, so I would say, yes, Wesley Dodd, Golden Age Sandman is a superhero am i correct no but oh, no. but why your mm-hmm. your thought process is excellent the the thing I is you. the thing is that you have mm-hmm. a few characters especially at dc because dc's roots go all the way back to 1939 right mm-hmm. um so you have a class of character that i generally describe as the mystery man who oh right i forgot about the mystery pulp, man right they're pulp heroes mm-hmm. like the shadow yes. the spider You know, um, Mm -hmm. Doc Savage, to a lesser extent, he's a little more like a Mm -hmm. hero pulp than a mystery man. But 
Mm -hmm. At the beginning, you had this weird in-between space, right? So Superman is clearly not a mystery man. He's a brand new thing. He's a superhero. And somebody yeah. says, how do we make a mystery man into a superhero? And the answer, the first answer is Batman. Batman is mm -hmm. the shadow with a better outfit. Like to the mm -hmm. point where shadow stories are plagiarized almost whole cloth as early Batman stories. Also, okay, so wait. Bob Kane's a hack, so fuck that guy. But, you know. <laughs> okay, so shadow is a mystery man. They make him, they they reimagine him as a superhero, make him Batman. But Batman's superpower is being really, really super rich, right? Um, I mean, Batman's basically. superpowers, in as much as he has them, have kind of like bounced around a little bit, depending on what mm -hmm. our needs were. He's almost yeah. always been the world's greatest detective, which mm -hmm. not technically a superpower, but one hell of a protagonist power, you know? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And in fact, without going all into a whole thing, when you have an opportunity to see the difference between the way Batman approaches a problem and the way John Jones approaches a problem. Yeah. There have been really great moments where somebody's like, well, Batman's not here. Let's just get John to figure it out. And John's like, <laughs> I'm a manhunter, not a detective. <laughs> that shit is different. You know, later on I love it. gadgets mm -hmm. and things become a big deal. So yeah, to an extent mm -hmm. being rich is part of the mm -hmm. power because it gives you the time yeah to do these things, the access mm -hmm. to these kinds of things. Most of the time, I would say Batman's power, if he has one, is competency. Like mm -hmm. if it can be done without superpowers, he can probably do it. Um, another okay. way that this gets reflected is people will argue a lot about he can win any fight as long as he has time to prepare. Well, that's clearly mm -hmm. bullshit. Okay, I'm not yeah. even gonna deal mm -hmm. with that. But the preparation side, yeah, that's a real thing. There have been multiple mm -hmm. Justice League stories where they get taken out because somebody uses Batman's plans to take them out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why did Batman have plans to take out his friends? Because mind control's a thing, motherfuckers. You got to be ready for shit. <laughs> when they said, well, right. what was your big ass plan if you got taken over? And his answer was, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> All right. So the mystery to man to and yeah, the mystery. Okay. The, so Sandman is, a, is he a mystery man? Yeah. You have these handful of characters are they that are kind of existing in a, in a, mist, in a middle man. space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So mm -hmm. you have uh, the golden age Sandman who is very yes. much a mystery man, hat, fedora, trench coat, not a real light costumed identity, just a different name and a gas mask. Right. Mm -hmm. So the, the shadow had like nine multiple identities. He didn't have one that he mm -hmm. went back to. The spider only had one, but he didn't really have a costumed identity. He dressed up like a monster, like an actual like hunchback mm -hmm. witch's nose, yeah. you know, thing. So uh, another example of this would also be uh, the Crimson Avenger. Like, again, it's just like mm -hmm. a red domino mask, but otherwise it's fedora, trench coat, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Mystery man. When you get to the Silver Age, you get a Silver Age version of the Sandman and of the Crimson Avenger that are much more superheroy on purpose. Like they realize it was an experiment mm -hmm. to start with. We weren't exactly sure where was the line for superhero. Okay, those mm -hmm. guys are still on the other side of it. They're still in the Mystery Man side. Now it's the Silver Age. What do we do to them to bring them into an actual more superhero so space? So is that the difference in Golden Age and Silver Age? The Silver Age is sort of this transitional space between what we had in the Golden Age and what we were moving into with the, the really bombastic superhero kind of thing? Well, no, not necessarily. Um, I mean, okay. it is a liminal space. It is a switch over, but it's mm -hmm. a switch over mm -hmm. both in time and in storytelling mm -hmm. technique and also okay. in sort of the themes that you were going to start getting. I mentioned okay. a lot mm -hmm. of magic guys become science fiction guys because it was the 60s mm -hmm. and it was the space race. And it was, you know, yeah. Barry Allen being a scientist was sexy business, whereas mm -hmm. the Golden Age Flash being a scientist was a little ho-hum. 
you know, mm-hmm. just with the approach of what the kids, the kids were into, you know, yeah. um, this is also why uh, uh, not only do you get a, a more science fiction explanation for Green Lantern, but he also becomes a test pilot because that's the mm-hmm. sexiest fucking thing you can be in the 60s. <laughs> All right. Interesting. I'm going to keep my eye out for the Silver Age Sandman. I'm looking very forward to kind of seeing that appear. Joshua Unruh, thank you so much for joining me here today to have this conversation. I could talk to you about this forever. For anybody who found this information as interesting as I do, where can they find you and all of your superhero business, all the podcasts (laughs) and everything that you do? Uh, uh, WTF Golden Age, by the way, I think is one of my favorite things that you do. Where it's where folks, I'm telling you, go find it on your podcast app of choice. It is it is where he goes deeply into all of these golden age characters and ideas and themes. And it is so much fun to listen to. But you've got tons and tons of superhero content for people. Where can they find it? So you can find all of my superhero podcast, all of my podcasts, uh, mm-hmm. the ones that are mostly about superheroes and, the, and even a couple that aren't um, at mm-hmm. pulp diction.biz so that's diction with a d dot b-i-z um Mm -hmm. i also write stuff you know and i'm working on some Mm -hmm. superhero stuff but i haven't written a lot of superhero stuff up till now Mm -hmm. i'm working on it uh but you can find all the writings at uh, joshuaunruh.com that's joshuaunruh.com j-o-s-h-u-a-u-n-r-u-h.com that's all the writing stuff i did do some mystery man stuff though that is not Mm -hmm. there because i did it with a co-writer with dan swenson Mm -hmm. fantastic fantasy author that i know we did a bunch of mystery man stuff at empirecityadventures.com um, mm-hmm. uh, we released those serially originally. We're almost ready with our big giant compilation of all those stories. So maybe hold off, maybe buy the first issue. And if you <laughs> like it, wait for the big giant tome because it's a coming. Yeah. It's coming. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for hanging out. Um, and everybody, uh, Elisa and I are going to try to get these out every week as we can, but due to personal circumstances that may not be possible every week. So we ask for your patience. Um, if we end up missing a week for any reason go visit joshua he's got a million things going on there you if you love comic books if you're interested in any of this and i find all of this incredibly fascinating uh go find all of his stuff and and let his material tide you over while you're waiting for the next uh, endless podcast episode to drop and let me just throw these gates wide open is that anytime Mm -hmm. you need to fill in but you have time for another one of these i am happy to come back because i didn't even get to spend any time gushing about (laughs) either mr miracle or etrigan the demon and i have feelings about these characters yes we've got more more and more talking to do but we are absolutely out of time thank you so much joshua always 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 a joy to spend time with you and for everybody listening we are going to be back with the next episode uh, which is uh preludes and nocturnes covering issues six and seven which is uh 24 hours and sound and fury so that's coming up next week hopefully um but joshua will definitely be coming back in the very least we're going to be name checking him in every episode when we're like oh i wonder what joshua would think of this uh, so thank you so much thank you to everybody who's listening and we'll see you next week <laughs>